appreciate that. I'm so glad to, to be here because it just seems like I've just all I've done is traveled this, uh, this summer. Um, and I'm really glad to be at home, at our home church. Um, if I can find the button. There we go. I uh, spent I spent the last uh, several, or first several days this week in uh, Nashville. I'm still getting some feedback here. Um, I think you know that, but I just felt like saying that because that's the thing to say when you're getting, you know. It's all because I forgot to get my microphone at the very beginning, uh, and so they had to. It's really my fault. I just want you to know that. Um, because they had to figure out the sound without me having said a word. Um, but here's the thing. I went to this conference in Nashville called Send North America, Send 2015, actually. And um, a- an awesome conference. 13,000 people in the uh, Bridgestone Arena. In, um, and we had Bridgestone Arena, granted. We had um, the Music City um, Center. Uh, most of that rented. We had uh, rent, Renaissance Motel and meeting rooms, there, meeting rooms there and Omni Hotel meeting rooms there for breakout sessions in those places. Awesome time. Amazing time. I thought, being the church planter dude, that this was about church planting. That's what I went for. I, I was a volunteer, so I kind of I was basically working it. But um, no, not speaking, of course, but, uh, but it was just such an exciting time to watch these people. About a third of the people, maybe a little less, were pastors and church planters. The rest of the people were what I call normal people. Um, you know, these were people, I mean, they weren't totally normal because they were like amazingly sold out to God. They were excited about meeting with God and hearing from God. And I, I told my wife, I said, I just can't believe these people. They keep, you know, they, there was an app for it. And so you could just kind of, you can still follow people talking about it even to this day. Uh, last night I looked at it before going to bed. My wife says, what are you doing? I don't know. I was ridiculous. I needed to go to bed and get some rest. But it was an exciting time because what I saw, the pe- one of the, the main theme of it, I thought was going to be plant churches, but instead it was be on mission. Whoever you are, wherever you are, what do you do, whatever you do, be on mission. If you're an engineer, be on mission at your engineering firm. If you're uh, or wherever you work for those things, and you know if you're if you're if you're a um, a waiter, be on mission at the restaurant. Whatever you do, be on mission. You have a calling. God has placed you where you are. And I thought that was a worthy thing to uh, to to emphasize. I was kind of excited about it because if we're ever going to truly impact our nation with the gospel, and our world with the gospel, that's what it's going to take. Uh, one of the, our, our president of the International Mission Board, Southern Baptist International Mission Board, was one of the speakers, one of the, one of the co-sponsors for it. And, um, and he came and spoke. Uh, actually, he was lined up before he became the president of the International Mission Board. But uh, he came and he spoke just an amazing call for, uh, for all kinds and all fields to hit our streets, either here or around the world, with the gospel. He said, we actually have, our mission board has over 5,000 missionaries on the international field. Over 5,000. You are supporting 
a part of the support of over 5,000 missionaries on the field. But he said, you know, the greatest missionary force is not that, is not all the various mission agencies here. The greatest untapped missionary force is, is there are over, what did they tell me, over 400,000 or 200, I, my numbers, please don't quote me, 200,000 or 400,000, it's somewhere around there, right? That's a pretty, those are close, right? If I have a $200,000 house or a $400,000 house, both are over my, over my budget limit, so it doesn't matter. Um, but so... Hundreds of thousands, we'll just put it that way, preachers speak, and uh, hundreds of thousands of our missionaries we have on the field, overseas, ready to be mobilized because they're engineers, they're doctors, they're, they're businessmen who are doing and operating their, their work over there. What if, what if they were tapped and recognized that God sent them there? Wouldn't that be awesome? God placed them there. Some of you guys are businessmen, and I'm excited about the way that you have allowed God to begin to use you in your place of, of work or as you employ people. And, I, and that's an exciting thing, is it not? That's actually what God is all about. That's what the gospel is all about. It's not about pastors and elders up here that are doing things and saying things. That's just kind of like... I don't know, you have to put up with this. But what really is going on in the world today is that the church, the church of Jesus Christ, every person is beginning to sense that they are significant and important in, the, in being the kingdom of God out there in the real world. And folks, we could reach the world with the gospel if we just open our eyes and see that that's what we are there for. Anyway, that was free, has nothing to do with anything that I'm going to say next, but I just wanted you to, I just wanted to share that with you because I'm excited about it. Maybe it's not going to have to do with anything. Wrong button. Now, I want to invite you to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 20. The last message in the book of Exodus 20. Not in the book of Exodus. Last message in the book of Exodus chapter 20. And um, so that's my opportunity to feel like I'm running cleanup, um, batting cleanup here. Exodus chapter 20, and um, I don't know, do we have that up there? Is it uh, verse, beginning with verse 22? Exodus chapter 20, beginning with verse 22, and I meant to get a new, uh, an English, uh, an ESV, English Standard Version, but didn't. I'm still going to preach out of the inspired version today of uh, the New International, I mean the New American Standard. Um, so, uh, Exodus chapter 20, beginning with verse 22. Let's listen to what he, the Word of God says. Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen that I have spoken to you from heaven. You shall not make other gods besides me, gods of silver or gods of gold. You shall not make for yourselves. You shall make an altar. That is, you shall make an altar of earth for me. And you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place, in every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stone for me, you shall not build it of cut stones, for, you shall, for if you wield your tool on it, you will profane it. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar so that your nakedness will not be exposed on it. Father, we ask that you would teach us today 
and give us clarity in your word as we share together. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, in case you're wondering, um, <laughs> this is really vitally, a vitally important passage in Exodus. When, when I looked at the passage, you may have been like me, you may feel like, like uh, when I first was looking at it, didn't we just address these issues? Didn't we just talk about not making idols, not having other gods? Didn't we talk about that already? Anybody remember that? Anybody awake? Come on now. Did you remember that? We did just talk about that. Hands don't go up. This must be a Baptist church. I mean, no kidding. Where are the charismatics when you need them? Thank you. Okay. Uh, we got one. Uh, two, actually. Got two of them. I got, got, had two hands go up. So the rest of you don't remember that we hit it. So obviously, that's the reason we're revisiting it. Okay? Now, you thought that you were getting me by not raising your hand, but I just got you because I said right here, apparently, God recognizes our need to hear these truths again. That says it right there in my notes. To hear these truths again and to get some clarification. That's what I believe here. Look at verse 22. You see, you remember when you, you actually remember when God speaks. You may not remember when I speak. That's okay. I'm all right with that. But you remember when God speaks. And, and uh, look, at, look again at verse 22. He says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, You yourselves, the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen that I have spoken to you from heaven. I spoke to you from heaven. And you saw it. Now notice it's interesting to me that he doesn't use the word, you heard that I spoke from heaven, but you saw that I spoke from heaven. Moses is instructed to remind the Israelites of their recent experience. You've seen for yourself. This is not a second-hand reality. This is an experience, your experience, Moses said. God spoke. I don't know about you, but I haven't heard that too often. Have you? Not too often have I said, aha, uh -huh, an audible voice. I've heard him. In fact, I can't remember it happening quite that way. You have seen. He's giving them a clear understanding of this. I'll talk to you about God speaking to you in a moment. God spoke from heaven. Oh, oh you didn't actually see God in the visible form, he's saying. However, you saw the fire. You heard the thunder. There was something happening at the top of that mountain. And you were so scared... You stayed at the bottom. And you didn't want to hear anymore. If you recall, they told Moses, you, you go to God for us and hear from We can't stand it. We can't handle it. They knew God had spoken. It was a fearful experience. You saw God act. You heard God speak. No other God has done anything like this. It's never happened. Since God spoke to them from heaven, He apparently doesn't need or want to be seen by anything as visible, right? He didn't, he didn't look to be seen physically. In fact, we know from many times when God appears that He covers Himself in some way because we, none of us, could handle the full sight of seeing God. We couldn't see that He had that whole image. But there's other reasons as well that he would not have a see us. Any image would be a step down from reality. Anything that you could literally see would be a step down from reality. 
We have this tendency to blow it when it comes to the physical picture. Um, gold or silver, common materials uh, are used for the best idols, right? Could not approach the value and worth of the God of Israel. And he's trying to say, even in communicating from heaven, out of the heavens, he is communicating that I cannot be pictured. And yet, what do we do? We're always trying to picture in our mind what God looks like. Either he's old and has this long white beard, or he's young and he's really cool like me. I don't know why you laughed at that. You know, these, are, these are the same people who have seen the plagues in Egypt. The parting of the Red Sea, the streams of water in the desert, the miraculous delivery from the Amalekites. Now they have seen God speak from the thick cloud. These are also the same people who complained and whined and doubted at every turn. These are the same people who will blow it within 40 days of this command. They somehow forgot the God who speaks from heaven. Now we can deal with our tendency to forget the moments of God's invasion in our lives from heaven. We can deal with that. You see, you forgot we talked about this already, right? You forgot we talked about this idolatry thing and, the, and, the, and, the, uh, and, and my awesome message on having no other God besides Him, right? You forgot all about that. But we, don't need, we need to not forget God speaking to us. And there's a way. You may, you, you may not have heard, by the way, the, the clouds. I heard the clouds. That's what I wrote here. Uh, you may not have heard something from the clouds or fire or thunder. But, but God speaks with equal clarity and power when He speaks into your life. And I suspect that everyone here has heard at some point in time God speaking into their life regarding something. Our trouble, though, occurs when we so quickly forget how clearly He engages with His truth, His love, and His reality. We, we forget how powerfully He redeemed us and bought us back, brought us back from the brink of destruction. Look at verse 23. Verse 23, He says, You shall not make other gods besides me. And it's like when I'm reading this, I'm like, I've read this before. I've read this before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the beginning of the Ten Commandments. No other gods. But he says, goes on. He kind of combines the first two here. He says, he says in verse 23, he says, You shall not make other gods besides me, gods of silver or gods of gold. You shall not make for yourselves. You see, ritual or physical remembrance tools um, risk idolatry. They risk idolatry. And I'm going to show you what I mean. You see, God, through Moses, reiterates the first two commandments in a summary form. No other gods, not even silver or gold. No other gods, not even silver or gold. You understand why he's saying that? We like silver and gold. We like pretty shiny things. And you, you, you may ask that question, why go over this again? But the given the realities of a few days forward, the better question is, why didn't they get it? 
They heard it on the mountain. They heard it from Moses. And then they heard it again, actually twice on the mountain. Then now they're hearing it again. And yet it's not long before they blow it. They're still at the mountain. They haven't even left the mountain. And they build the golden calf. Right? I'm not going to preach on that. Somebody else will probably do that later. But, but they blow it. Only within 40 days. In the near future, they, they, they build that idol. And man tends to want something tangible to follow. You hear it in our scientific community, right? If I can't see it, I can't believe it. We want something tangible. We like to call ourselves scientific. We're just like demanding evidence, of course. That's who we are. And speaking about idolatry, by the way, Ed Stetzer, um, uh, a friend of mine, church planting guru, I guess, um, uh, vice president at uh, Lifeway, uh, who actually writes some of our children's curriculum, um, not him personally, but the company does. And he said this, he said, we constantly have idle pop-ups in our life. Now, if you've spent any time searching uh, the internet or Facebook, you know what I'm talking about, right? Pop-ups? You know, here's the deal. I went out searching for a toilet seat. How many of you have done that? You know, I need a toilet seat. I don't, you know, I can't find what I want at, at Lowe's, and so, um, so I, I, I need a toilet seat, Right? So I go on the internet so I can get a cheap toilet seat that's really good there, you know. So I, find, I, I do the Google search, and there I am. I find my toilet seat. I order it, and within days, it's in there sitting on the toilet. Isn't that exciting? You guys are excited, right? I, you are like, this is an awesome subject. I'm so glad he's talking about that. And, uh, and, but you know what happens, right? You know what happens? For six months, I'm looking at toilet seats popping up somewhere on my screen you want a toilet seat here's a toilet seat how about a whole toilet you know i mean they, i mean all of those wonderful things are popping up on and i'm like how do i stop this and i know there's a way but you know what it takes time for me to figure it out by the time i figure it out the six months will be over and uh, but um, but you know what i'm talking about what is happening the computer i'm going to just make it an inanimate thing the computer hopes that somewhere along the way, what it pops up will be my idol for the future. Something shiny I like. Now, I like a shiny toilet. That's a nice thing. It means that it's not what I've seen on camping, you know. Um, so it's, it's, it's a good thing. But it's not something I want to worship. But guys, you know, it's not that far from us, is it? I mean, we can step up to something shiny. I, I, I have a tendency to have my head turned by shiny automobiles, you know? I mean, they just, like, turn my head. Ask my wife. She's like, he's always talking. Now, my kids say it's a boat. Well, that could be true also. It's a nice, shiny boat or a wooden boat. Anyway, we won't go there. But, um, uh, you know, it's like we have things that pop into our lives that we will actually give our lives for. We will follow. They become our idols. And it doesn't take long, and we like to follow that. But it's not just the things of this world that we like. You see, all of these idols are things that want to take my attention away from God, who spoke to me. The God who spoke to me. Huh. You know, see, I tried to deny the time that God said, give up the boat. <laughs> it was a clear speaking to me. Give up the idea of getting a boat. You're going to be a missionary. You don't need a boat. 
I thought, hey, can't I go to Africa and ride down the Nile or something? I don't know. Um, Just kidding. I don't want to go down the Nile. Idolatry has not ended. Gold, silver, platinum, we love shiny things. Um, We tend to worship the little G gods whenever we get a chance. Education, talent, art, beauty, sexual fantasies. All can lead us away from the mountain where God spoke. And now this, this discussion leads to an interesting twist. Or, or, but, but is it a twist at all? God takes His people to the altar. From the negative command, don't create the idols, to the positive command, build an altar. Right? So there's something we can do. Whew. I'm always relieved there's something I can do because I get frustrated when I can't do something. An altar points you away from idolatry and toward the God who acts. Look at verse 24. In in verse 24, he says, You shall make an altar of the earth for me, and you shall sacrifice on it burnt offering, your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stone for me, you shall not build it of cut stones, for if you wield your tool on it, you will profane it. So I can't do a whole lot but I can do something to build this altar. The positive command is to build an altar. The altar was, was to be simple, taking little effort or skill to build. Now, I like that because I have little skill and I don't like a lot of effort. But, uh, but he says, this is, going to take, this is going to be a simple thing. You're going to build this altar. And the building of altars already was a longstanding practice. So when he said you're going to build an altar, everybody got it. Everybody got it because that was the norm. From the time of, of um, Adam and Eve... On, there were altars and sacrifices taking place, whether it was Jewish or otherwise, or Jewish, excuse me, whether it was the God followers or otherwise. There were no Jews back in that time period. Um, That was a a mistake. First one I've made in my life. Um, So, um, but this positive command I like. Um, Now, it has, uh, the command has two important aspects to bring to the table, so to speak. You're going to bring a couple of things he wants to tell us. He says, first, the altar was only to assist in worship and connection with God at times and locations where God specifically acted or needs to act on behalf of His people. Now, that was a long sentence, but just understand that this is a time that God commands the altar for a, the, the time and place constraint. It's a time and place constraint on altars we don't build altars just anywhere you know how the israelites got to be during the period of the kings you remember that it was like you know only he didn't remove the high places you remember that oh if you read read the old testament you've read that in the kings he says only they didn't when the king was doing something good well he removed this he removed this he fixed that he removed the junk out of the out of the temple only he didn't remove the high places the high places were up on the mountains they would build altars but apparently they were the wrong kind of altars. This passage says, build altars wherever I reveal myself to you, basically. Build the altars there. Now, likely, some of those altars at the high places were that very thing. However, they had become the idol worship itself. They had become idols in themselves. I'll tell you about that in a moment. But the second command, uh, uh, the the second, second This command is specific. 
not to cut stones. No cut stones, no tools wielded, only basic construction techniques. You see, even an altar can tempt toward a violation of the first two commands. Even an altar can tempt us to worship something other than God. I'll explain that in a moment. But this is an appearance constraint on altars. So we have a time and place constraint and an appearance constraint. Now you know, you, you Bible scholars know that King Ahaz was one of the worst kings in Judah and he rejected God's pattern for the altar in the temple. You remember that? What did he say? He looked over here and he saw this. He'd gone to visit Assyria and in Assyria he saw there was a cool, awesome altar built. He said, I want it. I want it. Oh, wait a minute, there's another command in, that we already preached on, right? Covetousness, right? I want that altar. So he had the pattern all drawn up. He took the blueprints in his backpack, back pocket, and, um, or, or you know, cam, saddlebag on his camel, I don't know. So then he, then he goes back to Jerusalem and he says, here it is, build it for me. It was an abomination. It was idolatry in the temple. Was the intention maybe good? Maybe, maybe not. I think it had gotten to the point where all he wanted to do was make something gorgeous. Do we ever do that? In the name of worship? See, Ahaz lost sight of the purpose of the altar and embraced the man-glorifying side of worship, of an altar. It was beautiful. It was wrong. The church frequently runs this risk. I'm going to just tell you that right now. Many people look at, a, at the building or a sanctuary of a church to determine where they will worship. You know, wonderful, beautiful. We're talking back there, but wonderful, beautiful black ceilings, which I never understood why we were doing that, but it, it did turn out nice, you know. Um, you know but we, we start to look at this and say, wow, look, look what we did. Look what we did. We did this together. Isn't that great? What do we miss? God. Maybe. Um, yeah. You, we still like physical beauty and miss God. We still like that. If I was beautiful, you'd really like to hear, see me, right? Sorry, just the way it is. We might ask, why build an altar at all? For the Israelites, an altar was to be a location for offering sacrifice and burning incense. Um, sacrifices acknowledged the, the intervention of God in their, in their affairs. See, they needed, they needed to recognize God at every turn. And the altar gave them a place to do that. Um, they indicated a desire on the part of the worshiper to be at peace with God. That is, to live in fellowship with Him. In the Old Testament, they didn't have that constant sense of God's presence that you and I have as the Holy Spirit fills us, right? So they felt dis more distant from God. The altar was to help them get back close to God to know, to remember, 
to experience him. They, they, were, they were built following a, a, often following a significant intervention on behalf of God's people. Let's say um, uh, they, they, a battle victory, deliverance from enemies, the end of drought, something like that. Uh, other times, sacrifices preceded a needed intervention by God to win a battle. We need to win this battle. Lord, help us. Deliverance from, uh, from uh, pestilence or something of that nature. Successful harvest. We're looking for some help here. And so they built an altar, each time trying to move them into the presence of God in some way. Was the altar the presence of God? No. But it was a reminder because they built it up high to remind them, where's God? God is in the heavens. Now, we, we get that when we see the cartoons that show the clouds and the guy playing the harp and stuff and, and, and Peter there at the gate, but that's not really, that's not really what the God in the heavens. Okay? That's not the real picture here. He's a living God who is over everything. He is always present. Um, but they recognize that this is the God of the heavens and that the altar helped them do that. Um, incense burning, by the way, is, is described as a memorial to God or a reminder to Him of our relationship with Him. If you've read much of the Old Testament, you surely have noticed the frequent references to the soothing aroma or fragrant aroma. You know, and you burn, that also happened with the burned offerings, but with the incense as well. And, and, uh, and this is related to the altar. This aroma is always described, interestingly enough, as ascending to God in the heavens. Now, there are other things about that we're not going to talk about today because it's just not a message on the incense burning thing, and maybe somebody will cover that sometime in the future, but not today. But this is, this is going to, to before God. Um, I can remember specific situations where God spoke to me. He broke through and He changed my life. I remember those times, don't you? Don't you remember when He just kind of touched you in a special way? I readily mark those places and times as, as special and worthy of remembrance or re worthy of of commemoration i don't really set up a physical altar though by the way i don't do that anymore i mean i'm not there that's old testament we don't need to build an altar per se although i don't think there's anything wrong in doing that but i i um i am aware of god's presence at all times he's always here he's here today but he's here when you walk out of here he's he's there he's everywhere you go and so he knows what you're doing and he's present ready to be wouldn't it be cool if we really believed that? Wouldn't it be cool if we really believed that everywhere we went, God is there, and we're talking to Him, and like we can talk to Him? Now, we like that kind of thing, don't we? We like that friend thing. But what about the part about Him being holy? <laughs> Wouldn't it be cool if we just remembered that that holy God is right there? That would be, a, that would be an awesome moment. Um, however, you know, even though I remember His presence all the time, I periodically, uh, periodically I return there, if not physically in my mind, I mean, not physically, in my mind and heart. It is at those times I renew a sense of gratitude and awe and worship. Every time that God has intervened in my life, I can renew, I can remember that repeatedly. I remember God. Let me, let me give you a couple of examples. Um, I, I return to the places God has spoken to me, revealed His will to me, became personal to me, corrected me, rescued me. I remember in worship once again. Here's when I, I, remember, I have various altars in my heart, by the way, that lift me up to God. And uh, um, 
I, I remember when God called me to ministry in a Dallas, Texas church. I can remember that. That church will forever be a significant place for me. In a sense, an altar. Now, it's not a very strong church anymore, and it's had some troubles, but as I go to that building, I can remember God spoke to my wife and I, it's time, you're going. That was a, that, that's a time I remember. I remember while planting a church in Buffalo, the, the Buffalo area, uh, that God called on me to follow his call in that church plant, whether or not anyone came. Now, we already had some people coming, but I can, I can specifically remember driving down Transit Road in the wintertime, if, you know, if you know Buffalo area, transit, I was driving up Transit Road, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks because I always worried, it was a realistic worry, that some Sunday morning we would show up at church and nobody else would be there. Happened one time because I got time change wrong, but that was beside the point. Um, <clears throat> Bad, you know, it was a bad moment, let me tell you. <laughs> but, uh, but, but I'd already made this commitment. I had already determined that God said, are you going to follow my call to be here to pass, plant and pastor this church? And I said, yes. Even if one, no one comes on a Sunday, yes. Even if no one comes. I remember that moment and forever. I can remember, now, right now, there's a, there's, I think there's a movie theater at that spot, but there wasn't there at the time. It was really kind of an undeveloped spot. And I just remember driving down that road. I still remember that, that road. Yeah, now you know what I'm saying, right? How many of you remember where you were 9-11? Yeah? Oh, we're getting more charismatic when I said that one. <laughs> Woo! How about two hands? Just don't move both feet at the same time. You won't be able to be dancing. That'll be trouble. Um, but we know that, right? That was significant. How much more significant than that when God intervenes? He stepped out and interrupted your life and spoke to you. Right? That's more significant. Don't we? Re we should remember. I remember God taking me to the hills in Germany along the Rhine River, taking me up a trail. And as I walked up this trail, I started dealing with God in a crisis in my life. And I started singing a song. Careful. I started singing a song that I'd sung when God sent us overseas. But I, I remember something very special. I remember God talking to me in those hills in a special way as I couldn't sing any longer. I remember that as my son lay in a psychiatric hospital, not sure if he would be normal again. I remember... God met me on that hill, and I committed to follow him and serve him the rest of my life, whether or not my son was restored to me. Whether or not. It didn't matter, because God is God. I told him, I said, to where would I go? I matched Peter's words. You have the words of eternal life. God met me. I remember that. There is an altar in my mind on the top of that hill. I can picture it in my mind today because it, I can remember that it came out of the woods and it spread out to a nice field. And from that field, I could see the Rhine River for the first time as I got up there. And I could see the, uh, the trail continued on for who knows how many miles. And I could look and I could say, I can remember God met me. God met me. 
In my desperate time of need, He met me. Not with the answer I was looking for, but with the answer I needed. I will follow you no matter what. How many times do we need that? I remember a time in, at a North Carolina retreat center when God showed me He loves me personally. Believe it or not, I was a pastor for probably, what, five, six, seven years by that time? And, and I remember very distinctly that God said, you know what, Tim, I love you. Now, I knew that theologically, intellectually. I knew the Bible said He loves everyone, right? He died for all of us, right? He loved me so much, right? God, you know, he loved the, I understood he loved the world. I didn't understand he loved me. Tim Bissell. I remember that. And to this day, when I think of that retreat center and that particular ridiculous classroom packed with people listening to this man speak, who knows what he was talking about, but God spoke into my heart. And he said, you know what? Well, first of all, he, he spoke to me and said, you need to know I love you. And I still didn't catch it until later in a cafeteria a cafeteria, and I walked, and God reminded me right there. He said, you thought I didn't know you personally? I'm going to show you, and he did. And you would think it was a stupid thing, but it meant something to me. There's an altar in my heart for that moment. I actually remember when I understood the gospel and went home to pray in my closet to receive forgiveness and eternal life. <laughs> I remember pushing the baseball gloves away. I don't know why, but we bought at flea markets or whatever you guys call them. Um, I think it's flea markets here, but anyway, every baseball glove that ever came around, you know. Why? I don't know. We just had this pile of leather baseball gloves. I hate baseball. I don't like to play it. I'm terrible at it. That's why. You know, I'd like to play it if I could do any good, but I can't even hit the ball or catch a ball. Catch a ball, that's the worst part for me. But... I remember pushing those things aside and kneeling inside my closet because I knew that was where you're supposed to pray. And that's what the Bible says, right? Pray in a closet. Okay. And I remember asking Christ into my life. You know, I picture that altar as the time I met God for the first time. I'll never perish. I'll eternally live because of that altar where God met me. Now, is there anything there? Now, nah, a house is sold. Somebody else owns it. I'll never see it again. Will I ever see the one at the retreat center? Probably not. Germany, <laughs> no way. Um, all of those, though, are moments I can remember and I remind myself periodically. Remember, God spoke to you personally about something you needed to hear. Now, we approach an altar every Sunday, don't we? We have this, we come here and we call this an altar in some way. These are not very pretty altars. How many of you think they're pretty? No charismatics on that one. Okay, just one, sort of. They're not, I mean, they're fine, they're fine. When we look at them, we say, well, you know, little round pieces of bread. We say, well, 
cup, fruit from the vine. And we say that that is, um, that is something meaningful, right? Now, I've been to churches where this is much more elaborate. I've been where the altar sits here and it's marble, carved, or even brass. I don't know if I've seen gold. Uh, Brass altar, wood, beautifully carved wood. Do this in remembrance of me, marked on the front of it. You remember those? You guys have seen them. If the altar is more beautiful in our hearts or minds than the blood and the flesh of Jesus that was broke, shed and broken for us, we're missing the purpose of the altar. And we have become, in essence, idolaters. Our purpose in coming and selling to this altar is to remember what I just talked about in my final remembrance of the day that Jesus came into my life and made me a new person, a person who will live for eternity. Made me not from a bad person to a good person, I wish, but from a dead person to a live person who will live forevermore. That's what we celebrate. Did Jesus speak to you? Did he intervene in your life? If so... As we come to this time, we're coming to celebrate his entering at the altar, if you will. But this is an altar of remembrance. That thing is only a tool to hold it up to remind you that this is something God sent from heaven to us in his son, Jesus Christ. If you have not experienced that, don't come up here because it's nothing more than a a false act. And if you come up here, do it because you are remembering Him, not because there is some other thing, ritual thing, you think you have to do. Sorry, guys. Come and worship Him for His intervention personally in your altar, at at this altar. Isn't that a great thing? He loves you. This is a reminder, but I hope it's not the moment. I hope it's the reminder. If it's the moment, let's talk. I'll be at the back uh, following, uh, following the Lord's Supper. If you would like to talk to me, that would be great. But, uh, but come if you, if you know this is what you've done and you want to celebrate. And once again, remember, let's do it together today. Shall we do that? Let's stand together. Father, we bow before you. You are an amazing God. Amazing God. Wow. Personal God. Lord, it's not about a building. It's not about the special things we see and not even about great worship music. Oh gosh, I heard some of the best this week. But I, it, it's, it's something you did for us. How wonderful that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. Oh gosh, Lord, I I don't know how to even say it, but thank you for loving me so much that you chose not just to overlook my sin, but to wash it away, to wipe it away on the cross. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
as you feel ready, come and take uh, some bread, dip it in the cup, uh, and, and just remember.